Hey FCF, good morning. We're in the third message in our series called Tug of Love slash or Tug of War slash Love. And I wonder if you've ever seen a situation like this. You're looking out your window maybe and you're watching some children play outside and you see them for a time, man, they're having fun, they're laughing, they're getting along, and then all of a sudden everything changes. And you can see the anger on their faces and they might even push each other. And then the name calling and then the, I hate you, get out of my yard. I used to always hate that one when they would tell me to get out of their yard. Anyway, you see this going on and then time goes, maybe 20 minutes, half hour, and all of a sudden you see these kids once again smiling, laughing, and playing together. I had it happen a multitude of times when I was a kid. Perhaps you did too. It's a remarkable thing the way children can go through this complete cycle of emotions. They can go from loving and enjoying and feeling warm and affection toward one another to all of a sudden being extremely angry, even hateful, having no feelings or the worst feelings for one another. And then in a short time, they cycle back. Now, this is an interesting thing. Tuck that away because that's going to be an important image as we go on. Now, I'm going to ask you a series of questions that are going to initially seem unrelated, but I promise you later on in this message, they'll make sense. So here we go. Here's your little catechismal uh, series of questions today. Do you believe, do you trust that Jesus Christ really physically rose from the dead? Yes or no? Do you believe that Jesus loves you more than anyone else in the universe? Yes or no? Do you believe that He understands you perfectly? He knows everything about you. He knows every tear you've cried. He knows every weakness you have. He knows every fear you have. He knows every struggle. He knows how unique life is for you. He knows everything about you. Yes? No. Do you also know that He understands your weaknesses and your struggles better than anyone else in the universe and that He's always for you, He's always with you, He'll never leave you, never forsake you. Do you believe that? And then finally, do you believe Jesus' promise that He's going to raise you back to life from death and He's going to give you His eternal kingdom in which there are the greatest satisfactions that we can ever imagine? In fact, there are things beyond our imagination. Do you believe His promises, in other words, about His eternal kingdom? Yes, no. Tuck it away. It'll be important later. Now, the, the title of today's message is this, Restoring Feelings. And here's why I felt like this was an important message in this series, Tug of War slash Love. We have this notion today that's prominent in our society that if the feelings are gone in a relationship or if the feelings become poisoned in a relationship, for example, if suddenly the relationship has had some struggles and the person, one person says to another, I'm just numb. I don't feel anything for you anymore. Or worse, they say, all I feel is loathing for you. I despise you. I hate you. That's usually thought upon today in our society that that's the death knell of a relationship, that it's over. Once the feelings are gone or once the feelings are poisoned, that's it. It's finished. There's nothing else you can do. Is that true? And if it's true or not true, does God have something to say about it that might be valuable for us to hear today? Can the feelings that are dead or poisoned, very poisoned, can they ever be restored? Let's look and see what God has to say about this. Well, let's ask a question. How do feelings 
And we're talking about emotions, feelings. How do feelings become poisoned? We don't start off this way. We're interacting, we're relating to somebody, could be a friend, could be a relative, could be a spouse, could be a child, whoever it is, work associate. Uh, they don't start out being poisoned. How does this happen? There, there's kind of a typical cycle. I'm going to read you just a little bit of a verse. It's from Psalm 69. Uh, I'm going to read you verse 4 and a little bit of verse 20. The psalmist David said, Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Their insults have broken my heart, and I'm in despair. This starts the cycle. We feel like somebody is against us and we don't even understand it we don't want to understand why and they hurt us they insult us they they bring us to the point of pain and despair so i'm going to take you through something that i'm calling the downward cycle how do our feelings get poisoned toward anyone if we can understand that there might be some wisdom on the other side of this if there's a downward cycle it seems like there would be an upward cycle first of all here's how it typically goes you feel, I feel, we feel mistreated. Somebody's not treating me right. Somebody's not treating me the way that I want to be treated. That's point number one in this downward cycle where our emotions and feelings get poisoned. Number two, I don't understand it. I don't know why you're treating me this way. I don't know why this person can't see what I need. I don't see why they're devaluing me, disrespecting me, insulting me, depriving me. I don't understand why they're doing these things that hurt me what is wrong? I can't understand it. Why aren't they being fair to me? That's number two. So first, I feel mistreated, and I don't understand it. And then third, I feel hurt. You're, you're hurting me. You're, you're, you're ruining my life. You're taking away the precious time that I have. I only go around once in this life, and you're wrecking it. You're ruining it. You're wounding me. You're depriving me of happiness and joy. I, I am being hurt and deprived and broken by you. This is how the cycle goes. This is how we think. And this is how feelings get poisoned. And then the fourth level is this. We react. Once we feel like the person is mistreating us and we don't understand why they're mistreating us and they're hurting us and we feel like they're taking our life away, now we react. And how do we react? We react emotionally. We defend ourselves, we protect ourselves, we fight back, we feel like our life is being stolen away, we feel like we're being cheated, we feel like we're being hurt, we're being harmed, we're being taken advantage of, and, and we've got to finally fight for ourselves. In fact, we know life is short, the clock is ticking, and, and I'm just not going to allow my life to be beaten down like this. And so we react, and we react emotionally. And when we react, we react out of a cycle of viewing life from a very temporal standpoint. In other words, we're thinking, I'm only going to be here for a hundred years or so, and I'm losing precious time because you are treating me so bad and hurting me and frustrating me and depriving me. And so the cycle goes. Now that's a pretty predictable downward cycle. It's not something that's unusual. It's not hard for us to even understand. The likelihood is you've experienced that cycle with someone. The likelihood is every human being does. So that's the downward cycle where we go from our emotions being open and even positive toward somebody to suddenly becoming poisoned toward them. So I want to take you quickly to the other side because this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. How can we, is it possible, does God have anything to say or is that the end of it? Because society tells us pretty much that when you hit that cycle and you now feel dead toward that person, you feel nothing, you're numb or you even hate them or despise them, that legitimizes bailing. The relationship is over. The relationship is dead. There's no hope for the relationship. Once it hits 
that kind of an emotional state. Is that true? Well, let's ask this. Is it possible for poisoned feelings to be restored or to be healed? Is it possible? What might that look like? I'm going to read you a verse from the book of Romans in the New Testament, chapter 12, verse 17. It says to those that have put their trust in Christ and are following Him, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So this tells me God has given me a capacity not to react on the basis of my emotions that I'm so worried about my self-preservation and my self-gratification that I'm going to strike out because I, I wonder how much of my life is being used up. And instead, I, I can respond not evil for evil, but I can respond by doing what is right. In other words, I don't have to, God tells me I don't have to act in, on my emotion. I can act on principle, His principles. Let me go further. Listen to this passage from the New Testament, writing to those that have put their trust in Christ and are following Him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus. It says, banish bitterness. So, so, so first of all, we're to take action as Christ followers. It says, banish it, get rid of it. Banish bitterness, number one, rage, number two, anger, number three, shouting, number four, slander, number five. Slander is just you, you look at a person in the worst possible light, you criticize them as ruthlessly as you can, and you even bend the truth in making them appear worse than they are. And any kind and all malicious thoughts. Malicious thoughts are, I want to see something bad happen to that person. I hope they fail. I hope they lose their job. I hope they get sick. I, I hope their spouse dumps them. I hope their kids get in trouble. I hope they die. That's malicious thoughts. These are poison. Let me read it to you again. This is, this is the, um, uh, the voice translation of the scripture. Banish bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, slander, and any and all malicious thoughts. These are poison. They're poison to our souls. They're poison to society. They will be banished for eternity, ultimately. But then it goes on in the very next verse and says this. So I'm to banish these. So evidently, I might be full of bitterness. I might be full of rage and anger. I might literally be shouting. I might be slandering somebody, just ripping them to shreds and having all kinds of malicious thoughts toward them. I want the worst stuff to happen to them. I even want them to die, maybe. But then it goes on to say, instead, instead, very next verse, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is extraordinary, because what this is saying is that the, the message society is giving us is that once the feelings are gone, once the feelings are poisoned, the relationship is not dead at all. It is not hopeless. It is not legitimate to abandon it and to throw it in the trash heap. Far from it. Here are normal, everyday followers of Jesus that were struggling with bitterness, that were struggling with rage and anger and shouting and slandering each other and full of evil thoughts, malicious thoughts toward one another, that were poisoning them and poisoning the relationships. But God, who knows us best, says, instead, be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, be forgiving to one another. And I want to ask you a question. At the beginning, remember I said, 
ask you those series of questions about Jesus. Does Jesus know you better than anybody? Does Jesus know what you can do and what you can't do? Would he ever ask you to do something you couldn't do or ask me to do something I couldn't do? No. Does he understand my weaknesses, your weaknesses, your struggles, my struggles? Does he understand everything about us? Is he always for us and never against us? Are his promises about raising us back to life from the dead, are they sure? Are his promises for eternity sure? Remember all those questions? They're all going to make more sense as we go on. But just let this verse, this passage soak in. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 shows us that we can go from a state of poisonous emotions, hateful emotions, dead towards somebody, and we can change. God says we can, and he calls us to. Let me read it one more time. Banish bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, and slander. God doesn't tell me to banish it if I can't banish it. And, and, and any and all malicious thoughts, these are poison. Instead, God wouldn't tell me to do these things either unless He knew that I could. Be kind. He's going to give me the power to be kind to each other. So I'm going, I can go from bitterness to being kind. I can go from bitterness to being tender-hearted. I can go from bitterness and anger and so forth to being forgiving, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So this tells me that society is lying to us. And think of the first illustration that I gave you. Jesus said, except you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Little children can play together and enjoy one another, and then they can get into some real rows, some real disagreements, say terrible things to one another, go emotionally cold to one another, hate one another. And then in a short time, they can bounce back and they can be feeling warm and affectionate to one another. When we were young and simple, we forgave easier and our emotions proves, proves that far from it being dead or a relationship being dead or needing to be abandoned or thrown in the trash heap, far from it. It is, it is normal and possible, particularly for we that have got Christ in our life to change, to change these patterns around. Now we had a, we had a downward cycle. I'm going to give you an upward cycle now. So how do we do this? How does it work? How can we go from being emotionally poisoned to becoming emotionally positive, healthy um, toward somebody that we were poisoned toward? Now, I just want to say something. Look, this doesn't work in every relationship. Some of us, our hearts are hardened. We're so full of fear. We're so full of pain. We're just never going to listen, not even to God. I want to go further. This has nothing to do if you're in a, in a relationship where there's physical abuse and violence. It has nothing to do if you're in a relationship where there's criminal activity. No, those are special cases. You've got to deal with that in a special way. Get good godly counsel and take the, the legal action necessary. But we're talking about everyday relationships where suddenly we come to that place where it's like, I'm dead. I'm numb. I feel nothing toward you. And anything I do feel, it's negative. It's, it's loathing. It's despisal. It's hatred. That's not the end. That passage could not be more clear. So here's the upward cycle. First of all, when someone changes their treatment of us, it can quickly change our feelings toward them. When we change our treatment of others, it can quickly change their feelings. Look, if I've been rude, if I've been loud, if I've been insulting, if I've been neglectful to someone, and then I'm all of a sudden polite, and I'm not neglectful and so forth, if I do this for a period of time, their feelings will start to change. Their feelings might have been very negative, but they'll start to change. You and I respond emotionally based on the way people treat us. And so in any relationship, the reason that kids can have a fight and then get back playing together is 
they, they make agreements. They make new rules. They say, okay, if we're going to play this way anymore, you can't always be the, the teacher. You got to let me be the teacher sometime. Adults can do this too. If somebody changes the way they're treating me, my feelings change toward them and vice versa. That's, that's the first step in this upward cycle. Changes in understanding. Once my understanding of a situation changes, my feelings toward that person can change. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you come out of the shopping market and you got your arm full of grocery bags and all of a sudden you don't even know what's happened, but you know it's a person. You feel a physical body hits you, knocks you down, breaks your leg, your bags and groceries go flying every which way. Now, what would it feel like to you if you find out that person, a stranger, got a full head of steam, they were running and they deliberately mowed you down like this, just had a cruelty, just had a viciousness. How would you feel toward them? Well, you would feel very negative. You, you, you would be angry. You would be perhaps on the verge of hatred. They've broken your leg. It's a terrible thing, okay? Now, let me show you if you had understanding of the situation in a different light. If suddenly you or I understood that though our leg was broken and our groceries are scattered all over, we, we find out from others that the poor person, they slipped on a wet spot as they were coming out and that's why they fell into us. It was a complete accident. Well, now our feelings change. Follow me on this. Now our feelings change. The main reason sometimes we can't understand people or we can't stand people is because we don't understand people. Likewise, a lot of times the reason people can't stand us is because they don't understand us. Folks, would it make a huge difference if we started acknowledging the truth? Every human being is broken. Every human being has blind spots. Every human being is needy. Every human being is at times confused. They don't know how we need to be treated. They don't know what we want to hear. They don't know how to give us a sense of warmth and affection and value or whatever it might be. They, they don't always know. They don't have the skills to show appreciation. I don't have them. You don't have them, maybe. We all are broken in need of mercy and grace. That's how God deals with us. He knows we're a broken mess and that we need to be taught how to live life from the start. What if we started viewing one another, even those that have hurt us, disappointed us, let us down, wounded us? What if we started looking at them like this? Maybe, maybe they really just don't know what the heck they're doing. Maybe they're so messed up themselves. Their capacity is very minimal. Maybe if we start talking and understanding each other a little bit better, maybe we can stand each other better once again. Once we understand, it can change the way we feel about somebody from being cold, being numb, being negative, being hateful even. It can go to feeling some sympathy and some pity and eventually maybe even some warmth and affection once again. So here's this upward cycle, changes in treatment, changes in understanding, changes in perspective. Now this is a big one. I asked you earlier the question, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe that he will raise you from the dead? Do you believe that you'll enjoy his eternal kingdom? And I'm sure most of us say, yes, of course. But to what measure does that truth grab your heart or my heart? You see, because that's going to paint my perspective on life. And if I am living from a temporal perspective, I'm living in desperation. In other words, I'm alive today, but I don't know how long I'm going to be alive. And so I've got to get as much pleasure as possible. And if you deprive me of any pleasure, if you bring any pain, if you bring any discordance into my life, 
I got to X you out. I got to get rid of you because I don't have much time to spare. I'm only going around once. But if I'm looking at life from an eternal perspective, and if I believe there's nothing in this life that God can a thousandfold give me for eternity. In other words, I'm never going to miss out on anything. I'm never going to really... I, I hear some people say, well, gee, what about those people that they never get married or they never have kids or they never know what it is to have love and they grow up, you know, in Calcutta, India, you know, blind and crippled and, you know, all these things. Yes, there's terrible conditions, but God can more than quadruple. I mean, we can't even imagine the things that He can make up. If I start believing that, it changes my reaction. If my perception is the eternal perception and perspective, I don't react as harshly, as negatively, and I can give people grace and forgiveness. Let me give an example. Supposing that you were a missionary on a foreign field somewhere, you were working with primitive tribesmen, and they got fascinated by little things. They saw that you had a little Walmart mirror and a little brushing comb set. And they got so fascinated with it because they've never seen it. They sneak into your place and they steal your mirror, your Walmart mirror and your comb and brush. Are you going to be deeply upset about this? To them, to them it's a treasure. But to you it's nothing. Because you know that back home these things are in abundance and there's far greater things. Until you and I start living from the eternal perspective, no human being can take anything from me. No human being can take anything from you. You are not. I am not going to be deprived of anything. Even if someone mistreats us in this life, God is going to more than make up for an eternity. Until you settle that in your soul, until I settle that in my soul, that I really can't miss out on anything. You and I are going to work from emotion. We're going to retaliate. We're going to be reactionary. And the negative cycle, the downward cycle, will tend to kick in. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians 2.9. As Scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. To the measure that you and I believe that truth, to that measure we will internalize the little hurts and disappointments and frustrations. If I believe that nobody can deprive me of anything and that God's got stuff waiting for me that's so better than the best in this life, I'm not going to take it so doggone hard if things don't go well all the time between me and another human being in this life. That takes time to work in and live that truth. So if we take that eternal perspective, then that empowers us to change our reactions. And this is where it gets the rubber meets the road, changing our actual reactions. Instead of retaliating to somebody, and we retaliate emotionally, we become malicious, we become angry, we are full of rage, we become negative, we, we are hateful and hurtful because we're trying to defend ourselves, we're trying to protect ourselves, we're trying to eke out a life. But if we have that eternal perspective, we can get to the place where we can react like this. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Never... Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly. You're going to be treated wrongly. I'm going to be treated wrongly, God says. He says, just prepare for it. But He says, that's never a reason to retaliate. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly, nor insult those who insult you. So you're going to be insulted. I'm going to be insulted. But instead, respond by speaking a blessing over them. God wouldn't tell me to do that if I didn't have the power that He's going to give me to do that. Respond by, by speaking a blessing over them because a blessing is what God has promised to you. Let me tell you what it's like. When we retaliate to mistreatment, 
toward us, when we retaliate by becoming angry and bitter and malicious and cold and hard, I'm going to tell you exactly what it's like. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of trying to start a nail and you whack your finger instead of the nail. It is the most unpleasant experience, I can assure you. I was a, a union carpenter for uh, 17 years and I was an apprentice as I started out and I was really pretty unskilled. Hit my finger enough times. But let me tell you what it's like. So it's one thing to hit your finger and feel that pain by accident. That's the pain we feel when somebody else is mistreating us, hurting us. Okay, we don't like it. It hurts, sure enough. But if we retaliate, here's what it's like. It's like then, because you've hit your finger once, it's like then taking that hammer and hitting each one of your fingers over and over and over again because it poisons us. Remember the verse? Let me read it to you, Ephesians 4.31. Banish bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, slander, and any and all malicious thoughts. These are poison. When I retaliate emotionally, when I lash out, when I become angry and bitter and, and ill-willed towards somebody, I'm poisoning myself. It's like hitting my fingers again and again and again. I am not helping myself. I am not healing. I am literally poisoning my soul and elevating the level of pain. Now, until, until you and I really believe that, and a lot of us has to find it out the hard way, we're not going to be as likely to be able to really do what the next verse says, verse 32, instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Folks, the, the willingness to be tender-hearted means I'm going to open my heart again to that person. I'm going to be vulnerable to them again. I'm going to forgive them. That means they have hurt me. They have wronged me. They have insulted me. They have disappointed me. They have wounded me. Whatever it is. But I am going to forgive them. Look at the way that God forgives me. How, how could I ever not forgive another human being? Remember what Jesus said to Peter back in Matthew 18? You know, verse 20 through 22, Peter comes to him. He says, Lord, how many times a day do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times? The Jews thought that that was a traditional thought. Then you, after the seventh time, you didn't have to forgive somebody. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, seven times 70, 490 times a day. And then he goes on and he tells this parable. And the whole parable is about the fact that we all owe a tremendous debt to God. He forgives us constantly, all day long, even times when we don't even know we've made a, made a fumble. And, and yet... We have such a hard time. We are so reticent to extend forgiveness to another human being. And God says at the end of that Matthew 18, He says that if we don't forgive our brothers, our, our fellow followers of Christ and fellow human beings from our heart, God's going to take us into the woodshed and He's going to see to it that we learn how to be forgiving in the way that He's forgiving. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. I don't care how dark how negative, how hateful your feelings or someone's feelings toward you are. If we open ourselves to the Spirit of God's working, to the Word of God's guidance and direction, those feelings can be turned around. And there are endless illustrations of it. There are endless illustrations of friends that literally hated one another and they get restored and they love one another. Endless illustrations of family members, endless illustrations of marriage, uh, husbands and wives, endless. Let me just give you a couple from Scripture. Remember, remember when uh, Jacob stole Esau's blessing? Esau says, I'm going to kill him. He intended to kill his brother. But in Genesis 33, they meet up and instead of killing him, Esau falls on his brother's neck and he weeps and he hugs him and he loves him. 
How about Joseph, Genesis 37? His brothers are so jealous of him, they see him coming, they say, we're going to kill this guy. We hate him. We hate him. But back in Genesis 45, you find them weeping and holding on to Joseph's neck in love, in affection. It was restored. How about New Testament? Barnabas and Paul, the apostle, they went on missionary journeys together and they were about to go on another one. And, and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, a young man who had started with them on a missionary journey, but then went back. Paul said, no way, no how. Mark is not going. They had such a contention that they split. And Paul took a different companion and Barnabas, he took John Mark with him. Did they, they, they never served together as partners in ministry, but were they friends? Did the warmth come back? Absolutely. When Paul is about to be beheaded in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he writes, Please send Mark to me. He's of much use to me. In 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about Barnabas. He says, Barnabas was one of I. You know, we, we were serving God together. So it can be restored. There are endless illustrations, and I'll bet you you've had some. And I want you to have more, and God wants you to have more. Some of you feel probably really hopeless in some relationship, even this very day. I am begging you, learn to cry out to God, learn to rely on Him to raise from the dead your hopes, your soul, and relationships. And that relationship that is so filled with poisonous emotions, in many cases, I'm not saying all, in many cases, if, if hearts are open to God, if hearts are willing, if hearts are not hardened to Him, His Spirit is willing and ready to take a person from bitterness and hatefulness to tenderness and forgiveness. And forgiveness always means I'm going to choose to forget. You see, if I'm not going to choose to forget, I'm really not forgiving. And you notice what I said? I said choose to forget. I'm not going to nurse that wound. I'm not going to keep bringing it up. It's not going to become a historical document. Once I forgive you, I'm going to choose not to remember it ever, ever again. It's kind of like females when they, when they give birth. Supposedly the most painful thing that a woman ever goes through. But as soon as that child is born, they quickly forget about the pain. They don't dwell on the pain for the rest of their life. They dwell on the joy of the child that they have. You and I can choose to forgive and choose to keep on forgetting when it comes back to our memory. And if we do that, if we do that, we can go from poisoned emotions to pure emotions, to healthy emotions, to loving emotions, to warm emotions and relationships that our society would tell us are hopeless and should be thrown in the trash heap will be not just redeemed, they'll be restored and they will take on the beauty that only Christ, only Christ. And folks, you can't do, I can't do any of this without a, a deep, intimate dependence on Christ. He's the only one that can give us security that whatever wounds we incur, He can more than help and heal. He's the only one that keeps us incentivized, motivated, motivated to keep on trusting, to keep on moving, to keep on forgiving, even if it's 490 times a day. Once again, disclaimer, you know, you've got an adulterous spouse or something like that, or you've got a violent, physical, brutal spouse, or you've got a criminal spouse. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't, you must deal with that differently. But I'm talking about everyday stuff that we incur as human beings. So, you know whether or not God is speaking to you in a most specific way. If He is, please take His Word as the power and the guide and the direction to bring something beautiful back into a relationship that might be right now looking anything but feeling anything but beautiful. 
Some of us may need to take the first step by just turning to Christ to put our trust in Him, become His follower. We were made by Christ and for Christ. We can never be who we were meant to be or do what God will enable us to do until we trust Him. So maybe today that's your first step to trust Christ and then allow Him to start leading you in to restoring the feelings in some broken relationship. Let's pray. Father, you are truly the God that raises things that are dead. And we have seen your hand work so many times. And it's so beautiful when you take broken relationships, people that are, that are completely numb toward one another, people that are hateful toward one another, people that, are, that feel like it's over and done, and you bring them back together with tender hearts, with merciful hearts, with forgiving and forgetting hearts, and love and warmth and affection and kindness and tenderheartedness grow where once there was poison of bitterness and rage and anger and slander and malice and ill will. Only you can do that. Only you. Only you. May you do it again and again in every listening heart and life. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.